we see these kind of pieces of clothing that were developed for sports trickle their way into fashion. I mean, we see this with sneakers. Um, That's really something that happens um, in the later half of the 20th century. And it's definitely evolved, revolving around youth cultures, hip hop being one of them. But, you know, because um, black and brown communities at this time, you know, there were very few kind of cultural resources that they could look to that they could identify with that embrace them. So they created their own and hip hop was one of them. I'm Reg Ferguson. And I'm a fashion consultant from New York City, born and raised. I've been helping men look fly for years. And now I want to help you learn more about menswear, the entrepreneurs, the brands, and top fashion tips on the Fashion Geek Podcast. I'm the first generation of hip hop, and I'm a native New Yorker, where it all started. I'm from Manhattan but I went to live with my grandparents up in the Bronx. So from my perspective, I got to see the birth of the culture, the music, the dance, the graffiti. I went to prep school and my gear represented that. After school and weekend gear, something else completely. (laughs) It was Lee jeans, Adidas t-shirt with the 3D lettering, navy, gray suede Adidas, fat laces, a name belt, and a Yankee starter jacket with the spring lining, not the quilted one. That was my b-boy uniform, and I rocked it often. That was one of many outfits. It made you official. You were down. I look at kids now, and they're wearing 80s and 90s gear. My era. (laughs) I love it. Especially when they have logos and t-shirts of groups and artists they don't really even know. Streetwear is big now. It's cool to see. But you can't have streetwear without my era. Hip-hop style, hip-hop gear. Do people understand that? Do you understand that? Yo, this is Reg Ferguson, Fashion Geek number one. How are you? Welcome to the ride. Thank you so much for listening. I am a men's fashion consultant here in New York City, and I help the everyday man achieve his goals and live his best life by taking him from fashion confused to fashion confident. If you ever found yourself staring at the closet, not knowing what to wear, or if the idea of shopping for clothes makes you feel physically ill, then this is the show for you. My goal with every episode is to help make looking good feel easy. If you ever want my help, Email me at reg at nyfashiongeek.com for a consultation. If you have a friend who's looking to level up his fashion style wardrobe game, please share an episode with them. While you're at it, if you dig the show and haven't already left us a rating and review, please consider doing so now. Your shares, ratings, and reviews help us grow the show and help us get the best possible guests and help more men dress their best. Today, we are going to talk with Elizabeth Way of FIT, Fashion Institute of Technology, who is in New York, and we're going to talk about something the everyday man should have an interest in. Is hip-hop style still relevant in the 21st century, and what influence does it have on streetwear? Elizabeth, in the building, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on. No, I really appreciate it. You know, this is a big coup for me. So, <laughs> so before we go into our topic, please tell us, so what do you do?
So what do you what do you do? So my name is Elizabeth Way, and I'm an associate curator at the museum at the Fashion Institute of Technology. I'm a fashion historian, um, and I've been uh, curating for about 10 years. I'm also the co-curator of our current exhibition, Fresh, Fly, and Fabulous, 50 Years of Hip-Hop Style. Well, you see, I'm just cheesing because uh, that's what brought us together. And uh, as everyone knows in my listening audience, I am now doing video, so I just had to I had to represent here. And as Elizabeth knows, this sweatshirt is also in the exhibition at the museum at FIT. No, I did not G it. This is mine. I had this since back in the day, put my nickels together. I remember exactly where I bought it. The place where I bought it up in the Bronx where the people are fresh is now a it's a it's a Walgreens <laughs> which broke my heart this place was the one of the places I can't remember the name it was two initials it was on Westchester Avenue uh, in the Hunts Point section right there underneath the L tracks at Simpson Street uh, where I bought a lot of my gear which reflects the topic that we're discussing today. So so just for everyone, for sure, clarity and transparency, I, uh, I have two friends who are professors at FIT. They told me about the 50th anniversary symposium that was occurring there. I had no clue. And I, I wrangled my way in. Miss Way was very nice and invited me. And then, because I'm a New Yorker, uh, I parlayed that, son, and got her on the pod. So thank you again. And again, you know, I'm just cheesing because really what I really am excited about pertaining to this conversation is that we have the ability of someone like you to actually have a scholarship on this topic for something that for me was just part of my growing up. I went to live with my grandparents. I'm from Manhattan. I'm from the West Village. Went to live with my grandparents up in the Soundview section. And if anything knows about Soundview, much less the Bronx, there's a lot going on in terms of the development of the culture of hip hop, particularly through rap music, but also through fashion. So why is this still so relevant, Elizabeth? Well, hip hop fashion is infinitely relevant to the way we dress today because it amplified and fostered a few key, key movements that have shaped 21st century dress. Streetwear is probably kind of the biggest and the most um, kind of amorphous of these movements, but we can go down, um, you know, to specific objects like sneaker culture. Sneakers are everywhere today from runways, um, you know, to kind of the average office worker being able to level up to a sneaker that kind of fits in with their everyday wardrobe instead of having to change out of it on their walking commute. (laughs) This idea of kind of more casual, more comfortable clothing, but also that clothing is elevated to a fashion space. It's not, um, you know, athletic wear in a separate category. It's fashion. And so hip hop had a lot to do with kind of making that the norm of dressing in 21st century America and culture. And through that, changing international fashion culture. Well, you're right. I think the fashion reflects the overall art form of rap because 
you know, rap started here in the city. I'm a native New Yorker, so it's one of the things I just passionately claim. And obviously it was blacks and browns that really, you know, created this art form and created and developed the culture. And sometimes still, as I reflect my time and my age, it totally throws me off that people who do not look like me really can more than hold their own, quoting rap lyrics, knowing artists, and articulating about the culture, really, in a pure, in a pure level. Um, it's, it's unquestionable, but yet it throws me off. But you hit on something, and also I have to do a big shout out, and I'm hoping this way will will bless me with her the reading of my blog. I literally just I just relaunched my website, so it's a new website for the business nyfashiongeek.com. The new site dropped on Tuesday. A blog post also dropped on Tuesday, and the whole premise behind my blog, which originally I was trying to make it a long form piece for GQ and get a, a polite personal rejection, which I've been told in the game is is pretty cool. The, the point is, you mentioned streetwear. And the premise of my blog post is that streetwear didn't just all of a sudden pop out of nowhere. It literally came from hip hop culture. You know, you mentioned sneaker culture. So, you know, care to offer an opinion on that? Because I just hate that people are like, streetwear! I'm like, no, it came from us. Well, I mean, streetwear can be defi- streetwear is such a big category, and it can de- be defined in so many different ways. And so, sure. the way I kind of think about streetwear is an evolution from sportswear as a mindset of dressing to streetwear, and this is a move towards more casual dressing, um, but again, elevating very casual, athletic-inspired pieces to fashion. Um, and we do have a lot of forces kind of going on in American culture. Hip hop is probably the biggest and one of the most um, kind of important in pushing this streetwear culture. Um, into kind of the way that we all dress today. Um, We have other subcultural influences, for example, skater culture, punk, a lot of um, youth culture for um, for sure. We also have kind of bigger movements in the 70s and 80s. We have a big emphasis, especially for women, on exercise. Um, And, you know, dance, movies like Flash Dance, things like these are all affecting fashion. But um, hip hop took those references as well and made it their own. But I would definitely say that hip hop, because of the popularity of the music, you talk about, you know, people who look different from you being able to kind of, um, you know, quote rap lyrics in a very authentic way. Hip hop is American culture. Absolutely. By the 1990s, um, it had just completely permeated youth culture, American culture. Gen X um, is now kind of, um, you know, they're adults. Um, young millennials, elder millennials are now adults <laughs> and they grew up on hip hop. And so it was just such a big part of the culture that the fashion naturally followed that um, kind of cultural um, kind of saturation. So for sure, hip hop was one of the biggest, if not the biggest force to take streetwear and make it mainstream fashion. Yeah. And you hit on something because now rap music is the popular music. When I was growing up, it was rebel music along with punk rock. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's some great parallels there and occasional intermixing at places like Dance Terrier. When I was a little kid, as I date myself, having a friend of mine, you know, sneak slash drag me in there and just going, wow. And also that was just cool because I was back in Manhattan because because <laughs> I missed Manhattan, you know, going, you know, going to the Bronx from there. So you mentioned sneaker culture. So 
clearly one could argue sneaker culture is endemic to America. But I think that we, when we categorize sneaker culture, it really emanates from the 80s on. But certainly I would say sneaker culture predates the 80s. For sure. We see athletic shoes kind of with rubber soles going back to the, you know, the late 19th century, early 20th right. century, used specifically for sports. And over the course of the 20th century, we see these kind of pieces of clothing that were developed for sports trickle their way into fashion. I mean, we see this with sneakers. Um, that's really something that happens um, in the later half of the 20th century. And it's definitely evolved, revolving around youth cultures, hip hop being one of them. But, you know, because um, black and brown communities at this time, you know, there were very few kind of cultural resources that they could look to that they could identify with that embrace them. So they created their own and hip hop was one of them. But another really important um, kind of cultural force was sports, because we do see a lot of black and brown um, athletes succeeding and being recognized. Um, and so you have people like Michael Jordan. And so when they're releasing a sneaker, it's resonating with black and brown kids. And of course, a lot of these kids um, kind of overlap in the Venn diagram of hip hop. And so you that's one major reason why kind of sneaker culture um, is so important in hip-hop, but hip-hop definitely kind of took it to the next level in terms of connoisseurship, um, in terms of collecting, in terms of the way they wore sneakers. We have examples in the exhibition of fat lace sneakers worn by b-boys in the <laughs> 1970s, 1980s, so customizing those things. Um, even just the idea of keeping your sneakers flawless, this idea that black and brown people have had for generations about the way they need to present themselves in mainstream society in order to be taken seriously, in order to avoid violence. Um, and of course, these things don't protect us, but it is still a mindset of dressing, showing up in your as your best. And even when kids move towards much more casual clothing, they took those ideas with them. Yeah, it's funny when you talk about sneakers being pristine, again, as I continue to date myself, I remember having a pair of Nike Cortez and I had what every kid had in New York City, much less the Bronx. I had a corresponding toothbrush <laughs> and, and, and white kiwi lotion, liquid lotion. Mm-hmm. Because if there was one mark on my sneaker, uh, my my life was over. Uh, it was a, it would be a heartbreaking sight. So I remember my late grandparents just looking at me, just remarking, like, what, "What is he doing? What is he doing?" But it was all about keeping it fresh. Mm-hmm. So, like you said, again, the, these are through lines through time that you know, African-American culture are about Sunday best. I mean, this is a direct pipeline of that. that Absolutely. That, that the, you know, that the crease should be permanent and should be sharp. Everything is about being as sharp as you can with whatever you have. And we had a previous conversation in which you were really talking about the whole melange of different items from different cultures and how really hip hop remixed it. In terms of, you know, for example, you know, a polo shirt here and, you know, a shearling, which we called back then a sheepdog, a sheepdog back then. So, <laughs> Well, in the exhibition, we do um, we look at some designers from other spaces, but we really do focus on New York City. And, you know, it's really about the experience of dressing. You talk about cleaning your sneakers and the rituals around dressing and keeping yourself fresh and fly. My co-creator, Elena Romero, also grew up in New York. She's from Brooklyn. Right. 
She talked about going down to Delancey Street and haggling for your sheepskin was a rite of passage. Yes. And so there's not it's not just wearing the clothes and putting the clothes together in unique ways, which hip hop kids absolutely did. It was the whole ritual of dressing, acquiring the clothing. Um, you know, it, it's really comparable to like 19th century dandies. You think about Bo Brummel tying his cravat. These kids were just as intense about the details. Um, and it's really it's re- really an amazing clothing culture that has been, you know, disseminated. Um, a lot of people today don't have the time or the inclination or the understanding to kind of dress in that kind of detailed way. But we certainly take the tropes that these kids developed and work it into our wardrobes. Absolutely. I often have said on this podcast that really my current fashion sensibility obviously starts from childhood, but in two separate schools, classic menswear due to my late grandfather and watching him, observing him, and also him literally teaching me, nurturing, nurturing me in the ways of being a man and being a gentleman through, through your fashion, through your style, teach me how to tie a tie in the same tie knot I use today. But Growing, moving from Manhattan to the Bronx, which you could see on my face, was a big thing. Mm-hmm. Like, help! <laughs> like, love to live with my grandparents, love my grandparents, but what? Because back then, New York City was extremely balkanized. And literally, people knew if you were intruding, so to speak, into their neighborhood, much less their borough. Because there were certain tells, even through fashion, much less just how you spoke that would let people know, hey, what are you doing here? And we may have to chase you out. <laughs> the other, but the other school was was hip hop. Mm-hmm. And that still influences me to this day. You mentioned detail. I think that's the reason why I got led into the space of men's fashion consultancy because of my eye for detail, which clearly started as a child, but got honed and nurtured over time through my family and then on my own accord in, a, in an erudite manner. So I think till I die, those two schools will always be prevalent. It doesn't mean like often you'll see an old school rap concert in which the crew is still rocking the same gear as if they're frozen in time. Meaning I had to pull this out. I want to be really clear, y'all. First of all, my favorite rap group of all time. But I admittedly, I pulled this out of my my storage loft. (laughs) This is not in regular rotation. I actually had to uh, had to knock off the dust. So well, one of the things I want to point out about what you said, which I really love, is that classic menswear certainly has a huge influence and a place within hip hop style. I think people's understanding of hip hop um, style is kind of frozen in in a certain moment, right? Um, and we and it's it stays relevant because we see constantly references back to the eighties and nineties. When it comes to hip hop style, also we're in a current moment where the younger generation is very interested in fashion from the 1990s and the 2000s. But in the exhibition, we look at pieces, you know, from Sean John or even the ensemble that Dapper Dan wore to win his CFDA award. And both of these figures are from Harlem and they have a very specific fashion reference that's all about vintage um, 1920s, 1930s kind of menswear style that is particularly tied to Harlem. And of course, we have these formal wear um, kind of veins all throughout New York and the rest of the country. But formal wear is a really important part of hip hop style. Well, you hit on something. We had a conversation previously, and I'd like to to bring that back. We mentioned Frozen in Time, or I mentioned Frozen in Time. You echoed it. 
And I certainly don't want to speak out of both sides of my mouth, but we know that time is fluid. So in a previous conversation, you mentioned how, from a current standpoint, how hip hop has gone lux. And obviously, Sean John, you know, the Sean John brand and DAP clearly reflected that, but they reflected that in an earlier time. So if we look now in the 21st century, back to the initial question, you know, discord on, on you know, lux in hip hop and, you know, why is this even existing? Well, I mean, as hip hop celebrities became wealthier, they became more well known, um, they took some of the same like veins of style, the same topics that they were thinking about when they were starting out, like customization, like individualization, and they just put through more money at it. So in the exhibition, we have examples of nameplate belts from the 80s and 90s in brass, silver plated. Um, And then we can compare that to these beautiful renderings of um, these diamond name chains from things that were worn by Cardi B or Drake. Um, And what we see is the same idea. We see a nameplate. And it's all about kind of declaring your visibility. There was so much, many forces in mainstream society trying to make black and brown kids invisible in the 70s and 80s. Those still exist today. Um, But so they're taking these old school hip hop ideas and they just take it to the, the highest level, covered in diamonds, dripping. And we see that with the fashion, right? Um, track suits um, were in fashion. They were in, they were Adidas or Fila in the 1980s. Um, now they're made by Gucci um, and Louis Vuitton. And so we see these same ideas that these luxury companies have taken from hip hop and they're being worn by the hip hop artists. Um, so there's really much more of a kind of reciprocal dialogue now, but it really is happening on this luxury level. Well, it's funny you mentioned the reciprocity because certainly back in the 70s and 80s, not necessarily kids, because kids are kids, but black and brown adults were being ignored by these European brands. For sure. Um, we interviewed Dapper Dan for the exhibition, which we were so excited about. about <sighs> I've always wanted about, him. Oh, so lucky. We talked about, he talked about being in his atelier, and he always says that he's he's not about the closer reflection of kind of how he views an individual. And he's always trying to bring out aspects of their personality through his design work. Um, And so he talks about sitting in his atelier and when someone comes into his store, he gets up and he greets them at the door. He says, hello, he has a conversation with them. And this was a marked difference from the way they were treated on Fifth Avenue going into these luxury department stores. He wanted that to be a difference, that he wanted them to feel respected, to feel seen and to feel welcome in his store because they were, feeling the exact opposite way in um, the luxury brands downtown. Sure. Yeah. We would effectually call that end watch back in the day that you had the means, but you're literally being scoped from the moment you walk in to the moment you left. And to your point, you know, why, you know, why patronize these brands? When I think of when I think of Run DMC, and there's really an irony here based on the lyric, because you know they're talking about Calvin Klein saying, "I don't want to, you know anybody's name on my behind," but then they ink a deal with Adidas. <laughs> the first, first hip hop group to have a fashion endorsement, and this was the first time um, a company like Adidas, a sporting wear company, had an endorsement with a non athlete. This was a big moment, and it was a one million dollar deal in 1986. And that's a lot of money back then. I mean, it's, absolutely. Yeah. It's a lot of money now, I guess. But like, yeah, it was yeah. A lot. No, I know what you mean. Yeah, no, no. I literally remember when the deal got inked, 
this is that sweatshirt, you know, from from that collection. I mean, it. I I, I never wore shell heads. I was more of a Nike kid, but mm-hmm. but again, you know, my favorite group, you know, love the song My Adidas. They get the deal, and this is why I cop this. I went. I I have to be a part of this. Yeah. Um. You know, like any kid. Absolutely. We see that same energy when Dapper Dan did his collaboration with The Gap recently and they have the Dap sweatshirt. So sold out immediately. Um, There's still this kind of hunger for um, these more accessible pieces. Um, You know, of course, going to Dapper Dan's Atelier is out of certainly out of my range, out of the range. Me too. Or the Gucci collaboration. So when he does a collaboration with Gap, people are excited to get a piece of that style for themselves. Yeah, certainly, because really DAP, you know, from a New York standpoint, is mythologized. Mm-hmm. And he certainly is a legend. I, and you know, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but the but the link I gave you to the podcast to try to get into the symposium wanted to prove that I was down. I, you know, I mentioned Dapper Dan. I have an episode dedicated to him. He's kind of my white whale. I've always wanted him on the pod. It hasn't happened. I've come close. But again, being a native New Yorker, being of that time, you know, I know a lot about him and I know a lot about that store. And I didn't grow up in Harlem, but you can't be black and not know about Harlem in New York. And I remember walking past that store and then as in now, still inaccessible for my black ass. So. (laughs) But aspiration has also been kind of this constant theme within hip hop fashion. Yes. it's such a it's it's such a force for moving fashion forward in the different ways that it occurs. We can talk about the low lives and the way they acquired um, the fashion that they wanted. <laughs> Literally, represented an American dream. You know, to hearing people like Thurston Howell talk today, they can really break down kind of their thought process when they were younger and thinking about Ralph Lauren as this Jewish kid from the Bronx who, you know. They, he wasn't a person who was welcomed into these waspy American, you know, these American circles, he, but he created it himself and turned it into a billion dollar company. And that was something that they respected. Yeah. He, I mean, first of all, one of the greatest American storytellers. So That's because great. like you said, Jewish kid from the Bronx off of Marshall Parkway. And, you know, he's the go to for the story of the Western way. And he's the story of, you know, the life of the Hamptons. I mean, he he's he's he has that he has that gift. And I mean, that also is just an amazing New York City story because. Up, you know, an immigrant story, you know. You know, his parents were from Europe. He comes here and he makes and paves a way. And creates a way of life again about aspiration. Like he, his, you know, his face should be there in Merriam-Webster because he has made and continues to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And you, you hit on something: the whole lack of accessibility for this type of clothing, particularly when you talk about low lives, right? So I wouldn't even necessarily claim to be low life adjacent, but I remember that time. Mm-hmm. So and. You know, and, you know, Thurston Howe keeps it real and I love him to death, you know, from afar. But, you know, these goods were gotten in nefarious ways. So. But you can also look at it from a historical perspective and think about the impact they made in popularizing Ralph Lauren within hip hop. Absolutely. 
and keeping that relevancy for so, so long. I mean, Ralph Lauren has done a lot of different lines and a lot of different things. Um, and, you know, he has a high fashion line and, you know, makes gowns. But when we think about what kind of the American sportswear that he was creating, the type he was creating in the 80s and 90s and the longevity of that those lines, I think you have to trace it back to the low lives. And that's something that they as a brand have recognized. They've done projects with Thurston Howell yeah. advertisements, you know, like they recognize that as well. And that's a long evolution from kind of the way that relationship started out in the 1980s. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's in Ralph's book, I've been told, because I, I didn't claim to read the book, but I've, I've seen a quote. So no, he, you know, he knows and, you know, you know, and Tommy Hilfiger, which is, you know, really the uh, the progeny of someone like Ralph. I mean, the same acknowledgement. And we were both fortunate enough uh, to hear Andy, you know, make that extremely clear. And then also at the museum, ladies and gentlemen, there's a lovely video with both brothers and they tell the story. And I, I'm, I'm here to say that that was really refreshing to hear because we know that as people of color, particularly here in New York City, we're the tastemakers. So, Absolutely. you know, we take these brands like like Dapper Dan. Like, I'll tell you to this day that I've all and I literally have a podcast episode of that podcast episode. I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, no, he took the actual fabric and then made it. Jack, he didn't know he didn't re. No, he took the actual bags and he made it the fabric like that was because literally. You know, he was creating these items, but obviously he had a, you know, he had a printing press and the silk and, you know, all that and the machines. I'm like, no, he took it from each individual bag and that he he made a coat. That's what he did. Um, But that was just always so fascinating to me. But we have always been fascinating in this culture. And the interesting thing, again, through time is, you know, things enter from the subculture and then become mainstream culture. And that's why when you were talking about the transition that I kind of nudged you on about, oh, my gosh, you know, okay, the rebel music, the rebel music is the popular music. The brands that ignored us now embrace us. And again, this is this is what time does. Mm hmm. Well, what's interesting about, you know, you can look at something like rock and roll that, of course, black people, you know, had a huge hand in creating. Well, we created it. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> largely, but it was largely coated white. And so you have a lot of white artists. And so it moves from this rebel music to something that's much more mainstream. Now it's like kind of oldies or whatever. It's not quite as relevant. Right. But because black people and hip hop today, you know, we have so many Latinx creators, um, but hip hop today is so connected to black communities. Black communities never attained mainstream. It's to this day, we don't have mainstream status. To this day, we're still um, facing all of this marginalization. And so hip hop was able to straddle the line and becoming kind of mainstream, but also keeping this kind of this edge, this outsider status. And, you know, we're taking this legacy of kind of fashion created in black communities, um, you know, from the 19th century, from earlier. And you take all of these forces and it makes hip hop just incredibly powerful as a force within fashion. Yeah, I don't think there's any question. And and certainly like any music form for, you know, for white America to embrace this equally as passionately. It made a start. It might have started as voyeurism, but certainly transformed that, I think, for a lot of individuals. I mean, again, talking about the 50th anniversary of hip hop and, and this this being the birthplace as a city. You know, I have a friend of mine and, 
you know, he's a white Jewish guy from Bayside, Queens. And rap is just as important to him as it is to me. And we went to the Frederica Fisker exhibit. Uh, him and his wife beat me to a museum at FIT, but I quickly <laughs> gained ground. So, so, and, you know, we can talk about that because we're both New Yorkers. And though we did not know each other as kids, we're both New Yorkers. Mm-hmm. And we're both of that age, as you said. So, you know, we're part of the golden era. So to have that type of conversation and just, again, just show the immense popularity and how it grows and spreads. It starts from a very indigenous manner, but really indigenous is also just New York City. Yeah. So, you know, it grows in this way. And like I said, we, you know, we can talk about that. <clears throat> You've said it. But I just want you to say it again, probably just in a different way. Why is hip hop fashion relevant in the 21st century? Well, because hip hop fashion is now kind of completely conflated with streetwear. Right. And streetwear <laughs> is how we dress. That's that's just the way we dress in the 21st century. Um, but just, I mean, again, this this idea of taking we're all moving towards more kind of comfort and casual um, kind of clothing. That was a movement that started, I mean, in the 19th century, and we've kind of seen it come to fruition um, in the late 20th and early 20th century. But hip hop made that fashionable. They made that, hip hop made that stylish. And so it wasn't just a move towards comfort and, you know, unrestriction on your body. People still want to express their personalities, their creativity, their style. And hip hop, transformed casual clothing into a way that we could do that. So it's, I mean, it's just, it, I can't emphasize enough, like how much it's affected the way all of us dress, whether we kind of understand its origin in hip hop or um, consider ourselves to be a part of hip hop culture, hip hop's influence on dress has impacted the way everyone dresses. Why is Dapper Dan your most influential designer of the late 20th century. Dapper Dan opened a dialogue between European luxury through logos, but also through kind of craftsmanship and quality and a couture kind of way of making clothes and American sportswear, which is one of the kind of factors that kind of led to the creation of streetwear. And so taking this these luxury logos and putting them on bomber jackets, but not just a bomber jacket. He's going to make it double breasted. He's going to make it <laughs> right. two colors of leather. Um, you know, he's he's opening up this dialogue. And if we look at runways today, ready to wear runways, um, especially menswear, but women's wear as well, we see those ideas. We see this idea of taking pieces of sportswear and merging it with European luxury and creating streetwear from it. It's just absolutely everywhere. No, I hear you. And, and, you know, I mean, I have to smile because I really feel there should be a disclaimer in this conversation that we are preaching to the converted. But I, I have to ask the tough questions because because I think the, the questions are, are legitimate. They're valid. What is your favorite piece in your exhibit at the museum at FIT? Okay, well, I have many favorites, but I'm going to talk about a menswear piece because right. of where I am. We have a tuxedo that was lent to us by Ralph Lauren. It was custom made for Chance the Rapper for the Met Gala, I believe in 2022. Um, And it references, it makes a lot of visual reference to the stadium collection in 1992. 
So we have an original stadium jacket also on loan to us from Ralph Lauren um, from 92, this sportswear piece that has become kind of what, what it's been dubbed kind of given suicide status within hip hop culture, meaning that it is so coveted. The idea of wearing it on the street is like, it's like suicide. You're going to get boosted. And so Chance the Rapper talks about having this tuxedo made for him. And he really describes it as his Cinderella moment. He grew up loving polo, loving the stadium collection, perhaps not being able to access it in the way that he wanted to. So to step out at the Met Ball on the red carpet in a custom-made tuxedo that was a throwback to the stadium that he loved in 1992, that was an important moment for him. And, you know, red carpet fashion for men, I find to be kind of kind of boring. You see an impeccable suit. <laughs> you see an impeccable suit and like, you know, it's it's beautiful, but you know, there's there's that's where kind of the conversation ends, right? <laughs> Most of the time, I'll say. But take that, that take that. Ooh, that was a shot. <laughs> but that text, that tuxedo is such an important moment that brings together so many themes within the exhibition and really speaks to this this place in hip hop fashion in American fashion and how important it was for people of color, for young kids. And like you say, not just kids of color, but how important it was in how they shaped their own culture and how that culture has had an effect on American culture. It's this generation, generation X taking over from the generation before. And so I think that that is a really important and beloved piece within the exhibition. How difficult was it to curate pieces? You are the co-curator. Yes. I don't know how many pieces are there, but you're you're there for over an hour. How difficult process methodology? How does this work? So I'll tell you a little bit about how we put the exhibition together. We Please. have over 150 objects, and these came from over 50 different lenders, not including our permanent collection here at MFIT, which we have pieces from that as well. Hmm. So I co-curated this exhibition with Elena Romero, yeah. and she is a professor at FIT in um, marketing communications, but she's also a working journalist. And she's been working um, for the fashion trades like WWD, DNR, which is now defunct, since the 1990s. And so she really covered the emergence of what was then called urban brands. And that's, you know, a word that, um, a loaded word. Yep. Um, you know, she really covered and, you know, advocated for covering the importance of these brands. Brands like FUBU and Fat Farm were doing multi-million dollars of business, um, you know, tens of millions of dollars of business every year. And the fashion industry wasn't really taking it seriously. It was kind of shunted off into this other category, young men's category, which wasn't, you know, um, considered as exciting or relevant as women's wear. Um, so she was really on the ground as this was happening. And she wrote a book in 2012. And so she pitched the idea of doing an exhibition to celebrate the 50-year anniversary to the museum at FIT. So she's a guest curator with us. Um, and this was way back in 2018. We started working on I was brought on board as her co-curator. Um, and we started working on it in 2019. So four years of work of going to people's archives, contacting people. We drew a lot on Elena's network to get into the archives of people like Sal Abitello, who owned Disco Fever, of Ralph McDaniels, um, of designers like April Walker and 5001 Flavors. Um, we, you know, the museum has contacts with places like Gucci and Louis Vuitton, who we borrowed things from, Moschino, um, Terry Mugler. So it was really a combined effort of kind of the, what Elena knew, what I knew, and bringing it all together. So just kind of beating the pavement and figuring out all the objects was, that were out there, that was difficult. But getting it into the museum and trying to whittle it down was so difficult. It was so difficult. 
because, you know, we do focus on New York City, although we we definitely look at important West Coast brands like Cross Colors and yep. Carl Kanai. Um, but there are a million different stories you could tell about hip hop fashion. We don't touch at all about, you know, the influence of a city like Atlanta. You know, there can be 500 exhibitions on hip hop fashion specifically. So narrowing it down was a huge, huge challenge. And it's still one of the largest shows we've done at FIT. Yeah, I I loved it. It just it just took me back. I looked at pieces that I couldn't afford back then that were unattainable. And yeah, it just it blew my mind. I just realized I'm not trying to be a jerk. So I know I know the Tommy Boy Carhartt jacket is there. And that was like the must have item. And I know Monica Lynch literally said that. So she's a little biased. But if I recall correctly, and if I'm totally wrong, then blast me. I don't recall the Def Jam jacket being in the exhibit because I'm here to tell you as a native New Yorker, sorry, Miss Lynch, that was the jacket that you wanted to have. So that was something that was on our board that we didn't end up being able to put in the record. Many, many reasons why certain things couldn't come. But um, we do have a piece from Def Jam University talking about how Def Jam went into the the fashion business, creating kind of their own fashion line. Um, But again, there's just, we could have a hundred other exhibitions to explore all (laughs) these really influential items. Um, So uh, we did, um, because we were able to partner with Monica Lynch, she wrote a little thing for the book and like, you know, lent us these lanyards from her personal collection. It was really fun to have that collection there, but there were so many things that we could have put there to kind of think about um, the record companies and, you know, these influential pieces. Understood. Do you want to talk a little bit about the coffee table book that you and Miss Romero co-edited? So this book was part of our four-year process, and we draw so much. On, it's really an anthology. It's the, neither the exhibition nor the book are is a chronological kind of history of the fifty years of hip hop. There's really too too much. It would have to be three times the size to be able to do that. But we really drew on a number of different authors, um, journalists like um, Kim Osario and Emil Wilbegin, who were at the Source and Vibe, um, sure. Elizabeth Wellington, who was at um, the Philadelphia Inquirer. So not only are these journalists covering kind of hip hop culture, they grew up in it and they were very much a part of it. And then we also turned to people like Sal Abatello, Ralph McDaniels, Dapper Dan, Monica Lynch, um, to kind of have all of these different perspectives. So it really was um, kind of almost a grab bag of the people that we knew we needed to hear from, people we um, who at the time we could get in touch with, but everyone has these really unique stories um, that go through the history of hip hop. They were there when it happened. They helped shape the culture. And so I think that's really what makes the book so unique. Yeah, I'm going to have to cop one. (laughs) I'm going to ask for my FIT discount at Rizzoli. So, Miss Way, why is fashion important? Fashion is important because everybody engages with it. Whether you think you dress in a fashionable way or not, you're engaging with fashion because what you put on expresses something about yourself. Even if you're actively trying not to express something, that's an expression. Right. It does so much to tell people who you are, what you believe in, um, you know, not to mention the aesthetic art of fashion, not to mention the huge impact it has as a business in the world, has as a force on our environment. There's so, there's a million different ways to look at fashion and think about how it impacts everyone from the largest level to the smallest level. 
Um, for me, fashion is all about culture. Fashion is a reflection of your community. It's a reflection of, and whether that community is, you know, a community of one, if it's your family, if it's your neighborhood, your city, your country, it's a reflection of that. Um, and there's so much about body politics when we think about people of color or women and how our bodies have been policed, how we use fashion, how, you know, we've been People have, there have been forces trying to tell us how to dress and how we've pushed back against that. And there's so many aspects in fashion that um, express um, rebellion, um, express uh, kind of pushing against these um, oppressive forces. We can say those things through our clothes. So, I mean, I could go on forever about why fashion is important. What difference has fashion made in your life? Well, I'm a fashion historian, so it gave me it gave me my career. I went to college to study fashion design. I wanted to be a designer. Four years of college let me know that I was not going to be a fashion designer, which was fine. And um, I studied pattern making. I was doing a little theater costuming before I went to grad school to study um, fashion history. And it was really, um, I took an internship. I was at NYU, and I took an internship at the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture. And I took this internship for two reasons. It was close to my parents' house, and it paid. <laughs> <laughs> but Good reasons. But my research focused on the Black Fashion Museum collection, which was a collection that was started in Harlem in 1979 as a museum. And um, it was transferred and acquired um, by the Smithsonian. And I did some of the initial research on it on Black dressmakers. So people like Elizabeth Keckley, who sewed for Mary Todd Lincoln, um, and Anne Lowe, who made Jacqueline Kennedy's yeah. wedding dress. Black women who have shaped American culture in terms of fashion, who've made dresses that have been copied by people that have, you know, helped shape the course of American fashion culture that no one knew anything about. I had never learned about them in my classes. And so it was really from um, my master's that um, I became interested in black fashion makers and the impact um, they've had on American culture and how fashion as a vehicle for black people and my studies, black women has been so empowering. These were ways for women to, I mean, Elizabeth Keckley literally used dressmaking to buy freedom for herself and her son. Um, but, you know, they have been able to start businesses. They've been able to train and employ other black women. They've been able to kind of create a visibility for black people that was, you know, that was hard to attain. We see black people making themselves visible in the arena of sports and politics. And fashion is another space where it's really important to have representation. And that's still an issue that the fashion industry has today. So I've been, I mean, again, infinitely kind of interesting to me. And if I call, recall correctly, the fashion museum that started in Harlem, that was started by Miss Alexander. Am I correct? Yes. Lois yeah. K. Alexander Lane. Yeah, yep. Lois Alexander. Yeah. I met her, dated myself. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Absolutely. That's amazing. And you know, she started the Harlem Institute of Fashion. She yeah. was really interested in educating people and creating pipelines for designers of color. Yeah. When I went to NYU, Stern School of Business, she... Uh, yeah, I met her because I used to co-produce a fashion show uh, at the U, as I That's actually amazing. call it. Yeah, uh, my yeah. book. I wrote a. I edited a book called Black Designers in American Fashion, and I start and end with her work, and you know the work to preserve the fashion uh, design legacy of Black America. Yeah, and that book of yours is about to come out. Correct. My, um, oh, because my- you have an Anlo. I'm not trying to play myself. <laughs> So I have a book called Black Designers in American Fashion, right. um, which came out in 2021. Okay. But I'm currently curating an exhibition at the Winterthur Museum in Wilmington, Delaware, um, on the designer Anne Lowe. Right. So that will open September 2023, and its accompanying book will also come out then. Right. Also by Rizzoli. So clearly you have Rizzoli on lock. So, yes. yeah, I'm going to be asking for comps. That's all I'm saying. So 
I'm jiving. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sending an email. She's going to be like, I can't believe he did that. No, I meant it. So they have publisher copies. I know this. What's the top fashion tip you would give the everyday man so he could look his best? I think you have to be comfortable in what you're wearing and like what you're wearing. That trans that translates into your attitude all day. Everyone's had that day where you throw something on. You're like, oh, this isn't quite right, but you don't have time. And you get out the door and you regret it all day. So be comfortable in what you're wearing. And, you know, we talk about this as a concept in the 19th century. Comfort is a mental state more than a physical state. Because one of the things, you know, in women's fashion, people are like, oh, well, how could people wear corsets? People wore corsets because you were correctly dressed when you wore a corset. And being correctly dressed makes you comfortable. Um, So whatever that means to you and your body, being comfortable with what you're wearing, um, it's really a mental state. It gives you confidence. And, you know, when it's off, you feel it. Yeah, I totally agree. That's that's my lane when I'm talking to potential clients. So I ask this of all my guests. So what does always be fly mean to you? I think it's presenting yourself best. And that means projecting your personality, the aesthetics that you want to present. So whether, you know, it's fashion does so much to communicate about what you believe in where you see yourself in society and your community. So being fresh, being fly is about just projecting your truest self. And it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be eye-catching and ostentatious. It can be really subtle. There's so much beauty and subtlety, especially in menswear. Um, So I think it's just really thinking deeply about what your clothes say about you. Agreed. I think your lenses are fly. We already know this is fly. Absolutely. I'm terrible. That was shameless. (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm so glad we made this happen. Absolutely. I am so dogged. I got in the symposium. It was sold out. I got you on the pod. As a journalist. Yeah. Well, I'm just a native New Yorker. Got to, you know, we dig. I'm like, I'm going to make this happen. And I can't wait for those freebies. I'll be sending you an email. Send me an email. (laughs) Thank you for everything. Who, uh, you see, I totally bumbled it. I was trying to be really smooth, but I just never thought hip hop would take it this far. So thank you. You're welcome. You're very welcome. Thank you for being a part of the culture and also for supporting the exhibition. Absolutely. It's the only way I could get an FIT. <laughs> Everyone is frozen in their time. My era encapsulates the golden era of hip hop gear that rappers wear has evolved as well it should time is fluid I'm glad the art form and the culture has grown but don't get it twisted streetwear's roots is in my after school clothing it did not sprout from nowhere it came from our era recognize Well, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you had fun and are down for another one. Please tell a friend who could use some fashion help about the podcast or share an episode with them directly. If you enjoy the show, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Lastly, if you constantly struggle putting an outfit together and are looking to turn that confusion into confidence, I'd love to talk about how we can improve your work. Check me out at nyfashiongeek.com and email me at reg at 
nyfashiongeek.com for a consultation. A special shout goes to our producer, Search, and everyone down with the Fashion Geek Podcast. If you have a story suggestion, you can email me at podcast at nyfashiongeek.com or hit me up on the Insta at New York Fashion Geek. And remember, always be fly.